0: Back a few years ago, there used to be J.C. Penney stores, and and uh, the guy that started it was named J.C. Penney. But he had started several businesses, and all of them had failed. And then he was in the hospital. I think he was in his 60s or something, and he was broke, um, had these failed businesses that had never taken off, and he was just about ready to give up, and he was ready to die. And there was this group of young people that came through the hospital singing that song, and it just kind of gave him the kick he needed to not give up entirely, and he got better, and he went out and he started the JCPenney Company, which was successful for a long time. But uh, anyways, I always think about that when I hear that song. Um, You're probably wondering why I have the energy drink. It's not to, like, give me a boost preaching. But you'll, you'll see what it's for later. But anyways, uh, turn your Bible to Psalm chapter 63, and we're going to be based primarily here this evening, um, before I get started too far. So my dad gets these magazines called Farm Show, and I like to start off by just reading. they got some kind of interesting stuff in them, so it's it's primarily different like inventions and stuff that farmers or rednecks come up with and they send them in and send pictures and then they do a little write up about these little inventions and some of them are cool and some of them are stupid but but anyways what I do like though is whenever I see these magazines the first thing I look at is um, in the front of it it has liberty quotes and it also has some jokes so but they have some pretty good liberty quotes a lot, and I'm going to read you a few of them. Um, here's one a man by the name of William Hawking said, Where men cannot freely convey their thoughts to one another, no liberty is secure. And think about that. That's the truth, isn't it? Immanuel um, Kant said, The function of the true state is to impose the minimum of restrictions and safeguard the maximum liberties of the people, and it never regards the person as a thing. Man, I wish our government could do that nowadays. Just stay out of our business, but protect our liberties. And then uh, another one here, Daniel Webster says, human beings will generally exercise power when they can get it, and they will exercise it most undoubtedly in popular governments under the pretense of public safety. And we sure see that happening today as well. And I mean, isn't it amazing that some of these guys were back... I don't know, back in the 1800s or something, it's like they saw what's happening right now. Uh, Charles de Gaulle said, in order to become the master, the politician poses as the servant. And then lastly here, the urge to save humanity is almost always a false flag for the urge to rule it. And so we do see that kind of thing happening nowadays, don't we, under the name of public safety. They shut churches down because it's more dangerous to go to church, evidently, than it is to go to Walmart. So you're more likely to catch the virus at church than Walmart. But that's, that's uh, what they did. But, it's, of course, it's just to protect people. Um, okay, so a couple stories here. There's this husband and wife. And the wife, she was at home first thing. Morning, and she was watching her husband. And he, he stepped up on the bathroom scales. And as he stepped on the bathroom scale, she she saw him step up then suck his stomach in, just as far as you could. And she said, that's not going to help you. What are you doing that for? And he said, well, sure it is. I can't see the scales unless I do that. <laughs> and then another husband and wife. They were in an argument, neither of them would admit that they were wrong. So finally, the wife had a good idea. She said, all right, honey. I'll admit that I was wrong if you admit that I was right. And the husband, like a true gentleman, he said, okay, you go first. So she said, okay, I was wrong. He said, yep, you're right about that. (laughs) So, all right, now, to get to the real thing, we're going to primarily be looking at the first two verses, but I want to read the whole chapter here. And so it says here, Psalm chapter 63, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee, my soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with morrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed, and meditate on thee in the night watches. Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory, but the mouth of them that speaketh lies shall be stopped. And let's pray Lord God we come to you we thank you for your word and I pray that as we look at this um here in in these first two verses that you'd speak to us and uh, I pray that you would just take me out of the way and let your let let the words that you want to be said be said and that you would work in each of our hearts Lord that I wouldn't say anything that I shouldn't and And even if there's something I'm not planning to say that you want to be said, that you just put that in my mind. And Lord, I uh, do just thank you so much. You are such a good God. And just be glorified with this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at this tonight, um, I I was just looking at, we know that David, um, he's the one that wrote this chapter in the book of Psalms. And we know that David is called a man after God's own heart. And I believe these things really come from his heart as we look at this, at this, uh, these first two verses. And we see just by looking at, at this that he truly is a man after God's own heart. Um, first off, the first thing I want us to notice here is he starts off by saying, oh God. And you might think, well, what's the big deal about that? But I, I think if you... If you think about that, he's recognizing who God is. Um, And that's important. Uh, Many people mistake God for something that he's not. But he's recognizing God as the God of the Bible, the creator of this world. Um, I heard a story about this guy that was walking through Walmart one day. And he saw a guy that he knew and and he, he said, Hey, Robert, it's so good to see you. I haven't seen you in forever, and, man, you've changed a lot. I mean, you, you used to be skinny, and now you're kind of a little fat, and you used to be tall, and now you're short. You used to have hair, and now you're bald. And the guy said, well, my name's John, not Robert. <laughs> and he said, well, what do you know? You changed your name, too. So <laughs> but God's not like that. Our God, we got to recognize him for who he really is. And I was, I was kind of curious, and so I was looking to see how many different religions are in the world. And according to Wikipedia, there's about 4,200 different religions, faiths, um, kind of things of that nature. And it's growing every day, and it says before long, they'll be unable to count how many there are. And so there's a bunch of different beliefs out there. And we see that more and more. Um, and it's, uh, technology's kind of nice in some ways, but at the same time, it kind of perpetrates like any crazy idea that's out there gets a voice because of technology. And it's kind of amazing what you see people believing nowadays. You see people believing all kinds of crazy things. I heard about this religion, not that a lot of people follow this, but it's called the John Frum religion. Has anybody ever heard of that? Okay, so I'll just explain it to you. And uh, I guess on the island of Tana in Vanuatu, back during World War II, um, they, they were kind of the native people of that area hadn't really seen a whole lot of civilization. And during that time, the Americans were doing like island hopping to try to make it to, to Japan. And, In the process, they landed their planes on on that island and brought all kinds of mechanization and industrial types of things that these people had never seen before. And to them, it was just like heaven. I mean, they they all of a sudden saw all these fancy things that they could only dream of. And then, after the war was over, the Americans and all the other allies kind of got up and left. And the people were there just kind of left with the remnants of... Of the things that they'd been blessed with during the time that that uh, this, the soldiers were there on their island, and so they got the idea that basically the I guess the soldiers were kind of like gods, and so they thought, well, if we dress up like soldiers and march just like the soldiers did, and if we uh, if we build an airplane because the airplanes were what brought all the stuff in there, so they. Built this airplane out of wood and straw. It was like a life-size airplane, trying to attract airplanes to come down and drop stuff off to them. And so it's called like, somehow or another. It got the name of John From. That was the god that they worshipped. Of it was like the god of of possessions, I guess. Really, it's called the cargo cult because they they believed like all these possessions were because of God blessing them. But anyways, I mean you're probably not going to run into somebody that worships John from. But, I mean, if you think about it, a lot of times we worship that God of possessions and stuff just kind of the same way, though we would do it in a more civilized way, we would say. But at the same time, in, in God's eyes, I think it's pretty much the same thing. It's idolatry. And it's worshiping something other than him, putting something else in the place that he should have. And so we see though there's all kinds of different ideologies out there. I mean, you get on YouTube, and you can come up with all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, so, I guess basically, all that to say that that there is a lot of ideas out there about who God is. There's a lot of kind of mistaken identity of Him. A lot of people don't recognize who He really is, and Many times it's easy for us to kind of put God in our little box and try to make Him who we want Him to be. And yet, David here, he says, oh God, he's recognizing Him as the God of the Bible. The God that had been, I guess, passed down through the books of Moses and through the Old Testament books that were available at that time. He recognized who God was. Um, Really, I believe, he, uh, he recognized Jesus was the truth. Even though Jesus was not I guess, on earth at that point yet, but there's many prophecies that predicted Jesus Christ, and that's something for us to recognize, too. In fact, Jesus, in John chapter 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. So Jesus, right there, claimed to be the truth. And in claiming to be the truth, that excludes everything else. He said, I am the way. No man cometh to the Father but by me. That excludes everything else. We live in a day where people want to have my truth. And people don't believe in absolute truth. I mean, you've probably heard people say before. I mean, we can't. There's no absolute truth. That's really easily shot down, though, because all you have to do is say, are you absolutely sure that's the truth? And it pretty much excludes itself. That, that statement contradicts itself. There is absolute truth. We have to be assured of that. And we can believe that that truth is found in God's Word. And we we have to have a foundation to build upon. And you you notice here, David didn't say, Oh, Buddha, oh, Allah, oh, Muhammad, oh, Vishnu or Brahma or whatever. He said, Oh, God, thou art my God. And just something else to kind of throw out there. I mean, there's, again, with people trying to put God in their box, I, I heard recently about kind of a move to feminize God. And calling him instead of father, call him mother. Now, isn't that kind of crazy? Nowhere in the Bible do you see anybody call God mother. But, and I mean, yeah, it, it does talk about how as a hen kind of gathers her chicks and watches over them, he watches over his children. But in no way is that claiming that he's a mother. He's clearly called Father and referred to as he. I mean, that's not to take away from ladies. Ladies are wonderful. We're blessed to have women in the world. I mean, without women, of course, nobody would be here. But we're, we're blessed, and I guess at the same time, there is a very absolute truth that we see in God's word that he is, he is our father if we're, his, if we're his child, if we're born again. He's always referred to as he, as father. Um, I thought it was kind of not, it was kind of funny, but it was kind of sad too. I think it was this last legislative session. There's this representative that stood up to pray and he gave this immaculate prayer. And then, then actually at the end of it, he said, um, we're praying in the name of Brahma, the creator God, in which, which Brahma is a Hindu God. But he closed the prayer off with amen and a woman. And I thought, man, that's ridiculous. That's stupid. But yet, I mean, he must not even know what amen means because it has absolutely nothing to do with gender. But yet, he thought he'd throw a woman in there as well. But I guess I'm just saying, there is truth. And David recognized what truth was. He recognized that truth is in God. And so he says, oh God, that's the first part. Now, look at the next part. The next words he says, thou art my God. Now, here we see that he personalizes God. And by personalizing, I don't mean that he takes God and puts him into his own box. I don't mean like personalizing, like you get a new truck and you want to put tires on it that only you have and put a lift on it to personalize it and make everybody know that that's your truck. That's not what God is supposed to be. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But by personalizing him, I mean making him your personal God, making a personal decision that he is your God, not just something that you know about. Um, It's it's easy to know all about God and yet to not know him personally. Um, Same thing with like a person. We many times, especially with technology, again, you see These people on TV, these movie stars or whatever, these sports stars, and I know there's a lot of people that follow sports, and they'll they'll get all these statistics about their favorite player. They know exactly how tall he is, how much he weighs, how many points he made the last game. Um, They know all these things about him. They know his wife's name and his kids' names and all that kind of stuff. Maybe not quite that far. But, I mean, they know all these details about the person, yet they've never met that person personally. They don't know a thing about what the person's actually like because they don't don't know them on a personal level. They just know about them. And many times, we're that way with God. Many people get the idea that they know God because they know about Him. They maybe know some of the things the Bible says about Him, but they've never actually come to Him in repentance and faith and recognize that they were sinners on the road to hell put their faith and trust in him, and made him the Lord of their life. And so, I mean, in James chapter 19, um, it it makes this statement, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe in tremble. It's kind of like, I mean, I think he's being a little sarcastic there. He says, you believe there's one God? Well, good for you. So does the devil, and he's going to hell. Just knowing about God doesn't save us. Knowing him on a personal level is what saves a person being born again, like Jesus said? Um, he was talking about that to Nicodemus in John chapter three. Nicodemus he came to Jesus and said, "What must I do to to go to heaven?" And Jesus said, "You must be born again." That's that's like, well, being born again is having a new life brought about there, and that's a spiritual life by Jesus, and so you probably heard the statement that God doesn't have grandchildren, only children. And basically what that states is that we can't piggyback to heaven on our parents' back off of our parents' relationship, off of a friend's relationship, off of a pastor's relationship with God. It has to be our own personal relationship. We're not going to get to heaven because of somebody else. We get to heaven because of our own personal decision to trust Jesus Christ to make Him our God personally. Amen. And so we see there is that if we recognize Him to be God and then make Him our God, we will act on that, on that belief and on that, on that decision. We'll act on it, just kind of like a chair here. I can say, I believe that chair is real. And I believe that it's strong enough to hold me up, but until I actually go and sit down in it, I haven't actually trusted it, have I? And that's, that's what we need to, to do, is to act on that belief that God is real, that He is who He says He is in His Word, and that really that He is our personal Savior when we put our personal faith and trust in him. Um, next on, it says here, uh, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. And so by, by looking at that, I think we could take that in a couple different ways. Um, first off, early is at a young age. Man, it's a good idea for young people to seek God at their young age. It's not worth it to wait until you're old. It's, and I know a lot of people think they got plenty of time. But really, you're better off seeking God while you're young. In Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 12 and verse 1, he says, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. And that's an important thing for us to, to recognize. That's the best time to seek God is while we're young. Uh, turn to Colossians chapter 2. In verse 6, really quick. And we see here it says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as ye have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving. So I believe it's important to get rooted in Christ. Get into His Word. Get, get established. And be just like it talks about in Psalm chapter 1. Be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. And a tree that's planted by the rivers of water can grow deep roots. And it can, it can survive even in difficult times because it's got those deep roots that just sucks the water up whenever it's dry on top. So he says here, rooted and built up with him, established in the faith. So that's what we need to be as young people. Get rooted in Christ. Seek him early at a young age. Look at the next verse in verse 8. It says, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And I think we could kind of look at that in regards to some of the things we just talked about there is there are so many different philosophies and vain deceits out there that will spoil us. We need to get rooted in God's Word and just make up our mind, I, this is what I believe, and nothing's going to sway me from that because I've already studied it out. And let me just say, too, that following Christ, it's not just a matter of faith only. There's plenty of evidence that God's Word is the truth. And the world tries to cover that up. They try to discount it. But there is so much scientific evidence that points to God's Word being accurate. We don't have to have blind faith. It's not a matter of there's science in the classroom and faith at church. That's not what it is. I mean, there's plenty of science in God's Word. And archaeology and geology astronomy, so many of these different scientific fields, biology. I mean, biology, people can't even figure out what a guy and a girl is nowadays. So God's Word's pretty plain about that. Amen. But last I heard, I don't know how many genders there are, like 57 or something like that. It might be more now. But, but science backs God's Word. Amen. And so, like I said, beware lest any man spoil you, you through philosophy and vain deceits. After, after the rudiments of the world, not after Christ. Um, get it get it solid in your mind and in your heart what you believe. Be rooted in God's word. So he says back in Psalm 63, Early will I seek thee. And I think that also means we, we ought to seek God first thing. And We ought to seek him first thing in the day. We ought to seek him first thing in, in our life and decisions that we make. He shouldn't be one of those things that, like if all else fails, read the directions. I I guess I'm kind of like that sometimes. Like if I get an item in a box from Walmart or someplace, I do generally just like bust everything out of the box and start putting it together. And most of the time I do okay, but sometimes I do have to go dig back through the trash can and find the directions that I threw away. But God shouldn't be like that. He should be the one we go to first when we make a decision. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, direct thy paths, and that should be our heart, to trust Him with all our heart, and not to lean to our own understanding. I mean, we get ideas a lot of times about what we think is right. We ought to seek God first, though, before we make our mind up that we're going to do something without seeking His guidance with that. So early will I seek thee. We should seek Him first thing, and then... Next up, he says here, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. And so I was thinking about this. You've probably been thirsty before, right? Maybe out in the desert or working hard, sweating, and you just, your mouth is parched, and you feel like you're gonna die if you don't get some water. And it's not a good feeling. I I hate the way that feels whenever I'm thirsty and don't have water available. But I was thinking about it um, when we'd done the men's camp out up to uh, Truchas Peak there. I guess we didn't go quite all the way to the top, but we hiked quite a ways up there and went over the top of the, the peak there and down to the lakes on the other side. But that's a workout, especially when you're carrying a backpack full of a bunch of food and, and pots and pans and everything to cook and, and all that good stuff. But it's a workout. And you're going up there, and it wears you out. But I was thinking about it, and as we would hike up there, every now and then you'd see water just coming out of the rocks, just a spring, right out of the side of the the hills there. And I have to say, I think that is the best tasting water that I have ever had. You go and fill your bottle up with that stuff, and I know you're probably supposed to filter it and all that kind of good stuff, but I mean, I don't know, it's, I think it's probably safe because it's coming right out of the mountain. But you go and drink that stuff, and there's something about that stuff that's much more energizing than this bottle of water that's been stagnant for the last year or two. That stuff is, I mean, it's refreshing, and it invigorates you, and it gives you that energy that you need to take the next step and make it the rest of the way. But you know, I, I was thinking about it, and sometimes people develop a taste for the wrong stuff. And instead of thirsting for the water, they get the thirst for the energy drink. Kind of like, like I guess you could think of it as kind of like the world. And if you were to uh, drink this energy drink, if, like say if you go up there and you're hiking up to the peak, and you find this stream or this spring coming out of the mountain that's that's energy drink instead of water, and you load up on that stuff, probably more than likely you're going to fall down dead from a heart attack. Because, I mean, it might, it might be good for a little bit, but it's not going to actually give you the real strength that you need. And so what David's saying here is he's thirsty for the Lord, just like you would be in a dry and thirsty land where there's not any water. Just like if you're hiking up to the peak there. He had that desire, that thirst for the Lord. And really the Lord is the only one that can fill that. Uh, In John chapter 4, Jesus was talking to that Samaritan woman at the well. And what did he tell her? He said, I am the living water. And if you come to me, you'll never thirst again. He's the one that we need to be filling up on. Not the energy drink of the world that maybe gives us that, that brief kick but then drops us like a bucket of rocks, we need to load up on the living water of Jesus Christ. And He's the one that will bring us fulfillment, that will invigorate us to keep going, that will give us the quality of life that we want. And I'm not talking about like physically with blessings and all that kind of stuff, but I'm talking about having a a close, deep spiritual relationship with Him. Really, without that, we can't succeed in other aspects of our life. That's on the deepest level. So we see there, he says he's thirsting for the Lord. And then to wrap it up, look at verse 2. He says, To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. So, first off, he recognizes God for who he is, and then he makes God personal. He recognizes Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, and makes him his personal God accepts him as his Lord and Savior and then he seeks for God early. He thirsts for him. And that enables this next part. He says to see thy power and thy glory. And I I don't know about girls, but I know about guys we like to see power. We like trucks that have the power to burn out on the on the street. We like to rev those trucks up. We like to we like to see things explode. I mean, what guy doesn't like to see things explode or, or to shoot a big gun that knocks you off your feet? There's just something cool about that, isn't there? And to see power. But we should also want to see God's power. Do we have a desire to see God's power? Do we, do we see God's power? And it says here, um, to see thy power and thy glory. Now, maybe the glory is kind of directed towards the women. They like, they like glory, don't they? And, but to see God's power, glory. and then I was noticing this. It says, so as I have seen in the sanctuary. And we should be seeing God's power in church. That's the sanctuary was where David would go to have church. And he saw God's power in action there. He saw people being saved, and he saw people's lives changed at church. But I was noticing also, he says, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen, in the, seen thee in the sanctuary. It's not supposed to be something that's just stuck in church. It's supposed to be something that spreads outside of church as well. And that's something for us to think about. We need to see God's power in our church, and we also need to see his power in our everyday lives. And I truly believe that if we look at this, recognize God for who He is, make Him our personal God, make Him the Lord of our life, not just, I mean, really I think making Him our Lord is even another step besides just trusting Him to be our Savior, but making Him the Lord, that's like our boss, and then seeking Him and thirsting for Him, and we'll see God's power. Um, Like Jesus said in, in the Beatitudes, He said, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And when we thirst for Him, that's when He's going to fill us. That's when He's going to show Himself real and strong. And so I just want to wrap up with that. Think about that. Are we practicing this in our own lives? Are we seeing God for who He really is? Have we made Him personal? Are we seeking Him? And are we thirsting for him? Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you.